Welcome to Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders in all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. By the way, DeFi, I know most people know this, but it's decentralized finance. We're going to jump into that today. We're here in Miami at the Invenium Web 3.0 conference. Great segment now about the future of banking. A couple guests are joining us. Sanjay Vatsa, he's the president of Invenium International and chairman of the advisory board for Invenium. Also, Anthony Woolley, head of business development of Onera. So to both you gentlemen, thanks so much for being here. Conversation was fascinating because it's hard to imagine where we're going to be in the next five years or so. So let's start with you, sir. And if you wouldn't mind, just answer that question. What is the future of banking? The future of banking is client-centric. It's investor-centric. And if they want to invest in crypto, they want to invest in digital assets, or they want to invest in fiat currency assets, they should be able to do that. They can go to one place, and they can transact all three and interoperate between the three. So a quick question with that. Then let's say someone's got you know big investments in precious metals, gold, silver. How does that get digitized? Well, if they get digitized and they're donated as, as a digital asset in form of a tokenized security, Right, that should be be able to held by the person on their wallets. I'm going away from accounts, Anthony. <laughs> right, that should be held in the wallets, and they should be able to do it. In fact, if you go back 35 years ago, Merrill Lynch introduced CMA accounts, and 35 years ago, they had the approach of a wallet where one account, everything is underneath it. And if I'm holding gold, and I'm holding some private assets, I can actually put those also underneath it. So if you really look at it, that's where it's going. It's going to be client-centric. It's not going to be, okay, you want to do private assets, you go to the third place. You want to do digital assets, you go to the fourth place. You want to do minerals, you go to the fifth place. And by the way, the first to four are the banks, one giving you mortgage, one giving you consumer loan, then one giving you commercial loan, and one giving you deposits. Um, Anthony, you made a big statement in there. So I want to get to that. But first, I'll just ask you the same question. You know, what is the future of banking? Where do you see this going? Yeah, I think we're a really exciting moment in time. We, the, the world of crypto over the last few years has started to wake people up to this vision that you can have 24 by 7 trading, 24 by 7 transfer of value, and you can transfer that value in, in real time. Um, I think it's also starting to democratize finance, right? So to Sanjay's point, uh, what, what we're seeing is, is a future world in which investors, uh, whether they're high net worth, mass affluent, or indeed ultimately retail, uh, will be able to have, and talk about, well, it's a single wallet, a single place uh, that they log into. It's, it's simple to use, so the world of crypto is not so simple at the moment, but something that's very accessible. And as Sanjay says, you should be able to see all assets there, all investments in, in one place. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, public securities, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, a large private company, you've just invested in, in something like SpaceX in the US or you've just invested in real estate in the Middle East or whatever it might be. You want to see that in one place and you want to be able to click uh, and invest in that asset and then from that wallet also be able to trade uh, that asset and then uh, ultimately open up new new markets so also the potential to take your assets and pledge them to secure loans and that then is what the, the world of DeFi has started to, to open up people's eyes to as well. I love this conversation. Yes. And, and the reason the tsunami is coming, it's a tsunami, yes. it's not a tidal wave. The reason tsunami is coming because of democratization of alpha. If you want to create some parity, you want individual investors can invest $10,000 in a higher generating alpha asset, which could be a private asset. And the democratization of alpha is leading to these investors coming in where they can buy tokens. Now, where do they keep it? I mean, I have a tough time keeping my MetaMask 
wallet, so, right? Yeah, yes. And I don't know how I get it, and I have to go to someone's website and get it from there. I want it easy. I want it like my bank account, and that's what I'm an older older gentleman, but and maybe I am I am a gentleman, but <laughs> but if you look at the youngsters, they want it all today. They want to invest in all the four and open up the mobile app, and they should be able to see all four and move from one to another. So um, Sanjay spoke about you know the MetaMask thing can get wonky. Um, yeah. I've got my cold hard wallet, and I'm here clicking buttons trying to transfer stuff, and it it, it can be. A little bit challenging at times. So, so what what's going to happen in the next? I don't know. This space moves so fast. So, twelve months, twenty four months. It starts to minimize that friction, so it's easier to access all my different assets and accounts. Yeah, I think you know the world of crypto has sort of uh, uh, woke people up to the vision, um, but it is quite geeky. It is quite niche. You need to be quite technical. You know, um, which we talked in the panel about. You know, I call it my, my mother test. Would my mother be able to use it? And would I advise her to actually invest in it in in the first place? Right. And so up until now, the world of crypto has been very exciting, but it's been niche. It hasn't gone institutional. It hasn't gone global. That's what's happening right now. And for that to happen, you, you still need investors to have trusted companies, institutions that they go to um, that can provide them an easy way to log in on their phone. Um, they don't have to worry about all this techie MetaMask uh, stuff. Um, but um, so, you, so you, will, you will still need institutions that you trust, that, that you will access it through. Um, I, I think I don't think we'll be in a world where uh, everybody is trying to look after their, their, their own keys, and if you lose it, you lose all your assets. It's just not not realistic. But you will have these wallets, and behind it, you will have a cryptographic identity, your unique identity that ties you to the assets that you hold wherever they might be in the world. So I think all of this going institution and becoming much more accessible is happening right now. So I think in the next well, in the next year, next two years, you'll start to see real high quality private assets. It's real estate, um, such as we're talking about at the Invenium conference, big private companies that have not been accessible uh, to, to the mass population to invest in. It's been pension funds, etc. You'll be able to access that. And all of that is happening now. So it's all going to become much more democratized, much more easy to access, uh, and for you to invest wherever it is in the world. So you both are kind of answering this, if you don't mind me asking, but let, let's just take this to people's dinner table. So the person listening that Hey, you know, paying my mortgage, paying my bills, and making some investments. What what does this all mean to them and their family? Yeah, and can I add to a little Please. bit, Anthony? So, financial inclusivity is the word. Yes. And through democratization of alpha, and financial inclusivity is only a word till the time you do it this way, right? Till that such time you're talking about it as a word. And I want to say this: my father, who's 91 years of age, was quizzing me on how to open up a MetaMask wallet. Right? And I couldn't help him. He went to my son, who's 30 years of age, who helped him. He's got crypto investments. I have no idea what he's doing. But this is not generation specific. That's what I wanted to say, right? But your 91 year old dad has crypto? That's right. I love him. That's fantastic. <laughs> so talk about risk. He doesn't think it's risky. But he's doing it in tokenized securities and everything else. So he's getting to that. Sorry. Chris, your question was? I apologize. I, I mean, I've got a ton of questions. I guess, you know, at the end of the day, okay, so now we've got this opportunity where I don't have an account, I've got a wallet. What does that translate to me, my family? Like, what does that mean for me? It's easier, right? Yeah. Today, if, if someone passes away or goes away, right, 
I have to give a complete account of all my seven, eight bank accounts, the passwords. They've got their own requirements of what has to be filed. Now I hand over my wallet and my key to them, right? And through the trust, it transfers to them. The ease of doing business is much easier right now. It's one transaction, it's one click away as opposed to 10, 20 clicks away. The one thing I thought you were going to get into that you didn't really bridge, so if you can, that would be great. But one of the things that's really fascinating me about this space is the staking opportunity where you yes. can kind of become your own bank. So wh where do you see that going? Where's the opportunity there to sort of become my own bank and stake and get really high APYs? Well, I mean, one example we, we did talk about in the panel, you know, once you have your own wallet and, and once you can hold all your investments, uh, you want to be able to trade them much like uh, you want to resell uh, clothing on eBay or, or whatever it might be with your financial assets. It's much more easier to, to trade them. Um, but also, if you have those assets, you should be able to lend them right as well. Uh, and leverage against them, whether you're, you're lending them to earn some yield on interest or whether you want to pledge that asset so that you can secure, say, a mortgage, right? I mean, today you might have people who have got quite large stock portfolios, but they're still in rented accommodation. They, they can't because they, they may be self-employed or whatever. They can't secure the mortgage they want. Why not be able to electronically pledge some of your securities, right, to secure a mortgage? Uh, the, the technology means that you know, if, if you defaulted for any reason, that the, the lender can immediately take that asset. Um, but if things go to plan, you still get the, the benefit of, say, dividends paid out on your stock, that sort of stuff. Uh, and ultimately, when you repay the mortgage, you get the stock back, right? These are kind of products that um, haven't existed, that these capabilities, these wallets and digital transformation is going to open up. Actually, if you really look at it, what is a mortgage? You're pledging your real estate asset to get money, right? But if you now take it to digitization and you have it in an account and I want to say, oh, you know what, I want to sell the security but now take my digital asset as the, my real estate asset as it, they will take it. But they'll give you a massive haircut because they do not know what the real value is. Where, this is where the plug for Invenium comes in and it's not a plug, it's what attracted me to Invenium when I got introduced by the LSEC board is if I can value it and I continuously value it every quarter, the banks can understand what the real value of it is, and hence they can actually use it much more favorably for collateralization and pledging, right? And that was the missing piece. The missing piece is how do you create transparency to the uh, making communication English, right? The bank understands this is the value, I understand this is the value. It's not that they calculate a different value and I calculate a different value. So how does Invenium do that? So that's what Invenium is about. It's, it's a data infrastructure in the private asset marketplace where we create a capability where it allows subject matter experts to come in and sit on top of a platform or in a platform and value the asset on a continuous basis because we have automated the complete data aggregation perspective. But we also made sure the data is evergreen at the time of use. Mm -hmm. Because of how we do DeFi, we go and get the data at the time of use and if it, does, and it fails the blockchain test or the hash total test, we know the data has been changed. And there's a complete data lineage, and that builds confidence in people, and hence that transparency and confidence actually allows the value of the asset to be traded at a more near book value. Does it open it up now where I can also start buying fractional shares in some of these real estate right. properties? Yeah, and right. this may not be the, the right analogy, but it's the best one I have at the time I had, like sort of an Airbnb-ish type of thing where I can buy a fractional share, maybe own that piece in Italy because I want to go to Italy uh, next month? Or I'll give you an example of a client in Negro, right? A $34 billion worth book value company listed on tokenized securities through tokeny, listed and at a market value of $15 billion. 
The reason is because the investors, when they double click that token, they really don't understand all the off-day contracts they have and what the real value of that is. Now, if we pro start providing transparency on that, I'm not saying the 15 will go to 34, but the 15 will go to 22, 24 billion dollars, right? So that way the investors get more confidence. It's like public markets. If you go to public markets, there's a research done by a Journal of Finance and Economics from Rochester by Alamara, and it says that if you get research coverage on a public company, which is on the marketplace, the market value goes up by seven to nine percent. On private asset, there's less information available. Hence, we see there is a 20 to 30 percent uplift on this, and that is what will make this tradable. That is what will make it pledgeable. That's what make it collateralable. That's what will build confidence in people's mind. Two more questions for you. Either one can take them. So, when I look at all this, I'm curious: what does this mean for the future of the U.S. dollar? Oh wow, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a big question. I mean, there's a whole other conversation here, which is uh, the U.S. dollars. Obviously, you know the, the world's reserve currency right now. For now. Um, and but we have seen um, through uh, in the last week from the president's office, etc., statements about support for this world of crypto in, in the context that it, it, I think the you know, government's understanding that there is the transformation of financial services to, to look after here, and it's been a, an amazing asset for, for the U.S. economy. Um, and I think if, if it can be done right, um, then that will strengthen uh, you know, America's position relative to the global financial services industry. But if it's not done right, then innovations, we've had stable coins the last few years, commercial bank-backed digital currencies, we've got China talking about a, a central bank digital currency. If it's not done right, the position of the US dollar as a global reserve currency could fundamentally be undermined quite quickly. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's an opportunity, but there's a big risk there, and I think governments are regulators are starting to understand that crypto may be niche, there may be risky things about it, but that in, that's innovation, that's really a lab that's showing the innovation that can transform the financial services so do industry. do you think President Biden's EO was the right touch? I mean, it wasn't too, you know, draconian, it was more like, hey, we're going to research this and... Yeah, I think it's, I mean, the, the thing is, is the, the world needs regulation. It's important, right? I want my, my mother, come back to my mother, my mother's saying it's to be protected, right? Institutions need to protect their investors. Regulators and governance want to, to protect uh, the interests of investors. That That's important. It's important to get right. And crypto has been very regulation light. It's been given a lot of freedom, right? And it's helped drive that innovation. So governments and regulators have to drive a balance. The regulation is important to protect investors, but they mustn't kill, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, they mustn't kill that innovation. So I think these statements at the moment are good because going forwards, the, the greater regulatory clarity there is will actually accelerate the adoption of yes. this innovation at an institutional level and enable democratization and finance, enable some of these things to be put in the hands of each and every in individual. Yeah. Do you want to touch on the I, I, I think the formalization of the process, removing the regulatory uncertainty, <laughs> and letting people know where they stand. That in itself will bring confidence to the market. India also, you know, India did a very interesting thing, right? They said they're going to tax crypto profits. They didn't legalize crypto, right? So it's a step towards it. <laughs> I think the Biden order last week was also a step, a realization that this is happening now. It's not something they can ignore anymore, right? And hopefully the right regulators come into play. I hope there's a, some aspect of global regulation on this because I, and I'm not sure who would do that, which we need to talk about, like SWIFT did it for payments, mm -hmm. right? Do we need something similar like your GDF? 
to do that. But the point is that you need to do it because your currency is going to be floating on a global. The world is indeed flat in this in this environment. Which brings me to my last question. I want to get your take on El Salvador doing a billion dollar bond off of Bitcoin. Well, I mean, part of that, you know, these various economies around the world, smaller countries, etc., want to be in control of their own monetary policy, right? Their own economics in, in country. They don't always want to be beholden to, to the US dollar. It served them well as a stable peg so that, you know, in, in countries that may have runaway inflation, etc. But ultimately, this technology enables uh, governments to issue their own digital currencies, to issue their own debt and, and manage their economic policy the way they want to, to manage it. And and that's just, uh, you know, the more innovative end example of what's coming, I think, in terms of smaller countries driving their own digital currencies uh, and also doing it in a way that, you know, I'll give you another example. You know, if you've got poverty in, in one part of a country, for example, you can actually uh, direct uh, a digital form of uh, food coupon or economic stimulus right to where the, the pain is, where, where people are suffering in a country. Directly. Do that for a limited period of time. You know, manage your economic policy in a much more uh, granular way with, yes. within your country. And when we talk about Venezuela, etc., the big headline-grabbing things, what, what are they doing? But it's the first innovative steps towards uh, economic transformation in some of these smaller countries. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of people that are unbankable now versus with Bitcoin, is, it changes dramatically. Last yeah. words or anything else you want to add, Sanjay? No, I think, uh, listen, uh, this is upon us. This is not a distant future. And I will say this. Wait and see is wait and get disintermediated. That's the point right now. It's we didn't even get to your big analogy about the whale and the chunks being taken out of the whale and the Actually, banking system. That's, uh, that's <laughs> off recording. That's one slide I presented to the executives of in uh, Side Business School, and I said, I've got one slide. They said, we've come for a three-hour session. I said, I got one slide. And I showed them Sophie coming, taking away 17% of the margins. Yeah, they do, took away, but so what? I said, then someone else came and took away 10%, right? So now the bone was left. Oh, we are the bone. We are the trust and risk. But 2007 and eight flushed that out a little bit too, right? The trust aspect was gone a little bit, right? So, so we do not know. I think banks will exist. I think their roles will be different. Today, a bank comes to you and saying what they can do for you based on regulatory. Purpose. You ask the bank to do something and they check all the regulatory stuff and they say, can they do it or not do it? That's why they come up with products. Think about you going to the bank and saying, this is what I want to do, and they figure out how to do it. Love that. Customer centric. To both of you gentlemen, thank you so thank much. You. I appreciate thank the time you. and the insight. Again, uh, this is Sound DeFi, the podcast that delivers key insights from today's thought leaders on all things DeFi, blockchain, crypto, and private market asset data. <laughs>